Well, tonight we're going to uh, jump back into Philippians. But before we do, I want to take us back to Numbers. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, I, I talked a little bit about uh, the Israelites coming to Kadesh Barnea. But before we go any farther, let me uh, pray, okay? Jesus, we love you. And we are grateful that you love us with such amazing agape love that even knowing we were sinners, you loved us and died for us. That knowing we were probably going to struggle a lot, you still died for us. You redeemed us. And now you are continuing the good work of perfecting us. You turned us into saints and are now helping us to learn how to live like saints. And we pray that tonight would be just another piece of that process. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to open our eyes to truth, to take hold of your word and your ways. We want, we want to be like you. We want you, Holy Spirit, to work in us. We welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. So back back to Numbers. The people of Israel, again, had witnessed God's incredible power, his love for them, his grace uh, to deliver them from bondage in Egypt where they had been for so long. It seemed absolutely hopeless, and yet he came, he brought Moses and Aaron, worked miracles through these guys, set them free, they get to the Red Sea, he parts the sea, he destroys the whole Egyptian army. It's incredible. I mean, this, this story today when uh, experts look at this story, they say this, there's no way that this really happened. It was so incredible, so miraculous. We know it did because our God is that big. That was nothing for him. So he redeems them and he's got them and he, he, he tells them specifically, I'm going to take you to the promised land. He tells them this. Again, after they see all these incredible miracles, they, they march their way along. They find they get to the edge of the promised land, a place called Kadesh Barnea. And I want to read for you now a rather a little bit long passage, but it's important for us to see the mindset. And I want you to notice that. What is the mindset of these people? And how might we be different is what I want us to consider. So Numbers 13, starting at verse 25. When they returned, oh, uh, the, the spies got sent into the land. You remember that? Send the 10 guys in. They check it out. Sure enough, it's incredible. It's a beautiful land. It's full of milk and honey. And uh, they brought back some of the produce, and it was amazing. Uh, And they gave the report. That's where we are. So when they returned from spying out the land in the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, 
The people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak. Now, the Anak guys were giants, okay? Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up. And take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Beautiful. Beautiful. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight." Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. I want you to think about this a minute. Remember where they had come from, and the miracles, and God's presence, and God's promise. It's really sad. Verse 2, all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Ugh. It's appalling. Now, I know I've been just like them. But when you look at it in this stark picture, it really, it's really disgusting. So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. I mean, they're just already taking it into their hands. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who, of, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land... And give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land. For they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. And then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And can I tell you, God is not happy at that point. 
we have a stark picture of two very different mindsets here. Two very, very different mindsets. One, Joshua and Caleb. These guys see this. They remember that God is for them. God has promised to give them this land. He has brought them all this way. They're on the edge. It, it's time to go. This is, it's, this is great. How is it that those two guys saw this so dramatically different than the rest of the people of Israel? How? How does this happen? This is a huge question because we face the same issue in life. Perspective. Mindset. When we encounter things. In Philippians, Paul gives us a great example of the mindset of a saint. Philippians 1, 12 to 20 says this. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, we need to take a look at this. Where's Paul at? He's in prison. He's in prison. This guy has been shipwrecked. He's been snake bit. He's been beaten, stoned. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And he's in prison as he's writing what we're about to read. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Do you notice what he's thinking about here? What is he not thinking about? His personal comfort and pleasure. What is he thinking about? He's thinking about making Christ known. That's two very different things. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than for pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Do you see this? It He's not even getting fussed up and bothered about what the, what the uh, motivation is for these guys preaching. He's, he's not going to let that get him upset as long as Christ is preached. Let them do their thing. Let them do it as long as Christ is preached. What then? Only that in every way, in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, and that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. 
whoa, he was extraordinary. Absolutely, absolutely extraordinary. I know I couldn't have responded like that. Now, I think God is changing me and preparing me that if someday that has to happen, maybe by his grace, by his dwelling in me, by his Holy Spirit, it might be possible. I hope so. I would, oh, I would hope so. But do you see his perspective here? Do you see his mindset? It is totally, as long as they're seeing Jesus. If I'm going to live, I'm going to preach Jesus. If I die, that's great. I get to go be with Jesus. Woohoo! I mean, he's living this woohoo life. If he gets to stay, woohoo, I get to tell others about Jesus. If I die, woohoo, I get to I get to go be with Jesus. He's living the woohoo life. Sorry, Rhonda. <laughs> mindset. My perspective, my mindset will largely determine whether Christ will be exalted through my life. We've got to catch on to this. We've got to catch on to this. If you sincerely are at that place in your life where you are so grateful for the grace of God in your life, you are so thankful, and you know, you know at the very core of your being that if it were not for Jesus, you would be absolutely, irrevocably lost, dead in your trespasses and sins. When you know that and you have found Jesus and his incredible gift, there's a chance that you can have this mindset. There's a chance that we can approach life from a whole different perspective. And that's what I pray for each of you, as well as for myself. Seriously, I long for each of us to be so captivated by what we have in Jesus that that's all that matters. Philippians 1.20 says, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Oh, friends, Brothers and sisters, I have wasted so much of my life. Now, I've I've been obedient, done some good things, served, preached, loved, but I've also been pretty selfish at times. I've lost that focus. I've lost that mindset, and I've chased after stuff. And you know as well as I do that that's so empty. It's so empty compared to knowing Christ and the beauty of his presence in our lives and the privilege 
the incredible privilege that you get to represent him. Seriously. When I, I, I know me really well. And to think that I get to speak on behalf of the King of Glory. Seriously? So do you. So do you. Wow. Seriously. Satan works so hard to keep us from recognizing this incredible truth and get us busy with trying to be more comfortable or pursuing some little earthly pleasure or trinket, make more money to buy this or have that, go here or go there. Again, number two, Paul is not concerned about his personal comfort and pleasure. Not at all. <laughs> it was amazing. Matthew sixteen twenty three says, but he turned and said to Peter, and this is illustrating the bad mindset, but Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Remember that little passage? Jesus is telling him, I'm, I'm going to, they're going to take my life. And Peter says, oh, surely not. No, let's, and he tries to discourage Jesus from following through with, with his mission. And Jesus says, get behind me. And that is what Satan does. Surely you don't need to go through that trouble. Surely you don't need to be uncomfortable. Surely you don't need to go through the pain and, and uh, the suffering that will surely come if you're bold and stand up for Come on. Do you really want to do that? You're going to miss out so much. The lies, the deception, always there. Paul, again, Philippians 1.20 says, But that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What are you consumed with? Is it all about how much comfort and pleasure can I have today? Here's the deal. If we pursue comfort and pleasure in this lifetime, we've got what? And I've got... It could be two years. I could have another 20, 30 years. Don't know. I've got eternity just around the corner where true comfort, true pleasure, true peace, true paradise for ever and ever and ever it's it's just around the corner can we not for this little segment of time say no to our flesh say no to this stuff and say jesus how can i 
How can I serve you? How can I make you known? How can I see that you are exalted? Number three, Paul is consumed with proclaiming Christ. Again, uh, verses 18, 20, and 21. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, and, but that with all boldness. Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. All about Jesus. Number four, because of his mindset, Paul is unfazed by circumstances. Again, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. He's just, it's all about proclaiming Jesus. So I, I ask this question, what are you consumed by? In this life, in your life today, what is, what is your heart given to? What is it that draws you, motivates you? What is it you think about when, when you don't have to do something else or maybe even you're doing something else, but you, you, this is just what draws you? I want to give us a warning today, a very serious warning. Remember the, the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea. God was not pleased that they were so not mindful of him, not focused on him, not trusting him. We know that when they grumbled and complained, there were, there were a number of different uh, ways that God responded. One time he just opened up the ground and swallowed a bunch of them. Other time the snakes came and, and uh, were biting and killing them. I mean, he, is, he is not pleased when we're grumbling, whining, and complaining, when our focus is so much on our comfort and pleasure. He is not pleased. It's not a good place to be. Warning, being double-minded is dangerous. James 1, 7, and 8 says this, For that man ought to not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Ay, ay, ay. When we are double-minded, don't expect him to say, oh, no problem, and, and continue to bless you. It just, that's not how he works. He is not your personal vending machine. He is not our personal uh, servant for our comfort and pleasure. Mark six nineteen to 21 and verse 24 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and pleasure. You cannot serve God in comfort. It's a real dangerous thing to try. Again, Satan will tell you, yes, you can. Oh, don't, get, don't get carried away. Don't, don't go there. James 4, 4 and 5 says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ouch. Or do you think that the scripture speaks of no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. He, God, longs. It's what he made you for. He longs to fill you with his presence and walk with you and bless you and commune with you as you love him and serve him. But he can't give that to you while you're chasing the world. He can't do it and won't do it. Number six, the mindset of a saint is absolute devotion to Christ alone. The mindset of a saint is absolute devotion to Christ alone. Now, I want to share with you a verse that when I found it, it shook, it rocked my world, and it still really has a huge impact on me. Second Chronicles 16.9, listen to this. For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might completely support, strongly support the one whose heart is completely his. Now you see the end of the verse, they didn't choose to follow. They didn't give it their hearts completely. And that's a sad ending on that verse. The first part is beautiful. And the potential is beautiful. The opportunity is beautiful. The opportunity is magnificent. The opportunity is greater than if the chance and, and even if you did win the lottery. What would you rather have? A, a few million dollars? That does sound good. But Or God, almighty creator of heaven and earth, strongly supporting you. He is looking. He is searching. He is he's longing for there to be one who will say, Jesus, I forsake all this stuff. I want you. I want you. I want you. 
so that he can bless them and walk with them. Isn't that beautiful? That's our God. That's our God. Number seven. The deal is, you can't make a one-time decision on this. I, I remember when I was a young boy making the decision. I wanted that. I heard the word of God. I heard and comprehended the love of Jesus. And I wanted to serve him with all my heart. I did. I did. I had a longing to be a godly man. And went after him. Didn't take too long, though. I got distracted. Off I'd go. But how gracious and patient and good he is. Amen. I love that he includes the story of Peter in the New Testament. What a bonehead that guy was. Christ came back specifically, purposefully. You remember where he comes to, to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And I think that must have stunned Peter. Peter says, yeah, I, I love you. Jesus asks him again, what, what, is, he say, what is Jesus saying? And you don't think I love you? But if you listen to Peter's answer, he does say, yes, I love you. But the word used for love there is a, it's not a full agape love. It's, I, I kind of like you. Peter has enough character at that point to say, you're right. I've, you, and where this is happening, Jesus has come back to him and he said, wait for me to come back. But instead of waiting, Peter has led the guys to go back to fishing. You know, Jesus has been crucified. They're going, they're going back to fishing. They're going back to their worldly thing because they're not sure what's going to happen. And Jesus says, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Well, I sort of do. Feed my sheep. He doesn't give up on him. He doesn't give up on him. He says to Peter, feed my sheep. And Peter, we know, goes on to become a pillar of the faith, one of the men that is most highly regarded in the history of the world. God is able to take you and me and do the impossible, transform us into faithful servants. But we need to continually, I must continually choose my mindset. I must continually choose to give myself back to him. That's why I make it every morning. I force myself. It is, I hate when we go on vacation because I get out of my rhythm. And I have to work a little harder to make sure that I get that time where I refocus, get my mind set, and tell Jesus again, with all my heart, Jesus, keep working in me, take me, transform me, and put that mindset on for another day. It's a continual process. Mm. 
Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on the earth. And that's, that's the trouble. We, it's, hard to, it's hard to give up some things. It's tough. I understand. But oh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Those are the words of Jim Elliott, the, the missionary that was martyred. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that beautiful? Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And then Romans twelve two says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Number eight, living with the mindset of a saint inspires others to excel. Look at Philippians 1.14 says, and that, and that most of the brethren... Trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Others were being inspired by the boldness of Paul and his faithfulness. And they were standing and speaking up even under the great danger and pressure that their lives were under in that time. I tell you, brothers and sisters, if you're serious about serving Jesus, we need to be ready because the the day's are evil and things are changing and it could be that we will suffer for standing for Christ. It could be that uh, there are decisions being made in our nation and uh, it's, it's an interesting time. Even so, Lord, come quickly, amen. Uh, number nine, this is the only mindset worthy of the gospel of Christ. It truly is. This is the only mindset that is truly worthy of the gospel. The the sacrifice of our Savior calls for, demands, demands my soul, my life, my all. It does. He has given everything that we might be redeemed and have eternal life and walk with him, fellowship with him. It demands that we live a life worthy Verses 27 and 28 of Philippians 1 says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. The gospel... And his gift to us deserves this mindset of total abandonment to him. But finally, number 10, there another warning. You will probably suffer for this mindset. There is sacrifice. I don't want to sugarcoat things. There will be things to pay in this time, this short life. But they're nothing in comparison to what we will be rewarded. Amen. Verses 29 and 30 say, For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also 
to suffer for his sake. Now, that's a whole nother sermon someday. To suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus is truly a privilege. Truly a privilege. If you know how much he's given. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Uh, Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. I am forever, forever grateful for your steadfast love, for your mercy, for your grace, for your patience, for your long-suffering, for your kindness toward me. Hmm. Oh, you are beautiful. You are glorious. You are holy, holy, holy. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to draw each of us back again and again and help us to develop that daily moment by moment, all out commitment to you alone. Lord, help us to be so enthralled with your grace and your gift that we are disgusted by this world and its twistedness. Help us to, help us to get that eternal perspective. Help us to catch on that this life is so short And it's so silly to waste our time chasing after its offerings when your rewards and eternity are so, so superior. They don't even compare. We worship you, we praise you, and we plead with you again. With great hope and delight, continue the good work that you began in us. And, oh, Jesus, may you be exalted through our lives here today and for the rest of our days in these weary old bodies. We pray this in your all-powerful, gracious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.